Good morning. Today is March 7th, 2022. You're watching Finance and Technology Insights. I'm your host, Eric Bjorndorf. With me, I have my co-host, Brian Williams. How's it going, Brian? Very good. How are you? Good to be back after a couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Today feels like today feels like the first day back in almost what I guess three weeks. We left midweek. Um, but we did get a recording in and then I didn't, and in the last two weeks we didn't record. So yeah, today back in the saddle, getting back to normal, climbing out a bit out of a big pile of work, which feels good. Um, but yeah, feels good to be back. what I miss? So how much work, uh, well, aside from countries invading others, not a whole lot. Did you do actually work, uh, any work down there? Um, I well, I don't call what I did work, but I te technically worked. Um, you know, I call it I call it monitoring. I, mm -hmm. you know, you, you could do a lot from a cell phone these days. So I monitor from my phone and just make sure that I, I try to keep my head above water with the email and, and my email I treat as kind of my honey do list. So um, I address things that I can. I keep the ball moving on things when I can. But um yeah, it just it, it piles up. Uh, there's only so much you can do from a phone, you know. Right, right. Is your team pretty good about knowing when to alert you and the the magnitude of of issues, when to key you in? You know, I'm very, I'm really fortunate at this point in my operational maturity that the team doesn't really need me for anything anymore. Um, the service that we deliver our clients is well taken care of by the team that I have in place. So mm -hmm. that that stuff that I don't have that kind of drama anymore in in my evolution of, of business ownership. But, you know, we have a lot of new initiatives that we're working on that I was trying to keep moving. Uh, we have some contractors coming in. We're using new um, we're getting new integrations and tools coming in and um, without getting too technical, it's more of, they're more business development projects on the internal side of the house rather than kind of external business development, new clients, that sort of thing. Okay. All right. That's good. Anything you've business development wise you wanted to share with the group, the audience? Yeah. So let's see. Um, the last month was, I was all big on, um, our, what we call our we were calling it our onboarding wizard for a while. I think we've settled on calling it the account setup wizard. So clients can actually shop for our service or shop for their IT vendor through our website and actually onboard themselves and become a customer uh, without even talking to us if they want. We're, we prefer to go through the account setup with with a new client just to make sure that what, what they choose and submit uh is the final uh thing that they intended and is ideal for them but you know for the, i don't want to be ageist here but for the younger types that like the self-service option you could shop for our services and onboard your business as a client uh, all through our website which i think is a real uh differentiator for us so that was last month um this channel, I think we we touched on it last month as well, has inspired me to launch a YouTube channel for my company. We're we're well underway um, heading heading down the road with that. So it's going to be called Evernet Reviews. Uh, the channel's Evernet TV. Uh, we're still I'm still learning about the platform, but the channel is either called Evernet TV, and we're having a sub channel. I don't know. Can you have channels on a channel? Something it's on YouTube or on, on YouTube. Yeah, you have let's well, say so you have your channel name and then you you can certainly have different playlists and things like that. Yes. Um, I think once you get to a certain point, you can customize your URL a little bit so that right. um, you know, so that that changes things a little bit. But yeah, you can have your channel name. So but that can be changed at any time. Yeah. So the channel I think is called Evernet TV. The show, I guess, is called Evernet Reviews. Mm -hmm. And the nature of the sh the show will be me doing a format like this with with vendors or uh, maybe an internal resource or by myself um, if a vendor doesn't want to participate but basically 
one of the reasons why I didn't want to start a YouTube channel is because I didn't want to just have a self-serving promotion or advertisements for our company. So I didn't really think that would bring value to an audience. And then it kind of occurred to me what would bring value is if we did reviews of vendors of products that we see our clients use. So I reached out to a bunch of vendors and I said, hey, here's what I want to do. I want to do a YouTube channel in this format, reviewing your product, giving you an opportunity as the vendor to sell to me, I guess, in the context of a product demonstration to spotlight your company product or feature, you know, because some of these products are so big, you know, a 45 minute session might only be able to cover a feature. So um, just building that back end what is has been the initiative that i'm pushing so um i think i even sent you did i send send you the web form that um guests will be able to go to and it kind of does uh an ex it's both an explainer of what the show is so if i'm so you know if i send the this uh, the, um web page it's evernet.tv um, if I send that to a vendor, kind of the first thing, the first page says like, Hey, this is what this is about. If they proceed into the form, it's a web form that basically says, tell us who you are, what the product is, what things that you want to feature and spotlight. And, um, and then the point is, is sending that data into my business management tool that allows me to kind of manage that relationship kind of an on an ongoing basis. Mm -hmm. So that's been the project that I've been pushing and, Part of that is working with an API contractor to send the data from one, the, the data collection tool into the business management tool. So um, just kind of, that's what I was moving, kind of quarterbacking from Cancun over the past couple of weeks. All right. Well, that seems like it should be relatively, relatively smooth uh, getting from one system to another. Yeah. Probably I mean, 80% this... of it is. And then there's a little bit uh, that hangs up at the end, right? Yeah, this integration will be a lot easier than the account setup wizard because the account mm -hmm. setup wizard actually had the complexity of creating contracts and billing configurations in our business management tool. This is just contact information, so it's going to be a lot easier. So that was what I was working on from Cancun. Um, the other thing that I'm doing is I provide cybersecurity training to my clients. And... I provide the training to our clients. So, so, so our clients, what's coming kind of, it's been coming down the pike, but basically by now all industries and even some regulatory bodies actually have expectations that businesses are receiving recurrent cybersecurity awareness training, basically for, you know, to the, to the end user, um, recurring training, how not to get hacked. And I was, I've been for the past few years providing this training kind of in a one to many session, like a webinar that the, my clients would have to like schedule and they would all pop in. They could all do it from their own computers if they wanted to. And sometimes they would put me in a, on the conference room, you know, big screen or something. And I would do like an hour long kind of webinar training session on themes and topics and things about cybersecurity and hacking and stuff like that. And I just felt like um, it's not really scaling well. And quite frankly, even though I have a lot of experience consulting and training, um, the content is produced by me. And while I feel like I have kind of the ability to produce attractive PowerPoint presentations, um, it's just not, um, I feel like I could get a better service to my clients. So I'm actually doing product research right now on a service that I'll resell to my clients that will be um, kind of more of an automated cybersecurity training platform mm -hmm. where they'll every employee in the business will get an email about, you know, um, schedule training and things. And then I'll be able to report to the client uh, or my primary contact at the client, you know, uh, their percentage of success and failures. Cause there'll be like a five question assessment or something like that. You know what I mean? Did, you know, did, did the employee watch the video? Did, you know, did they, were they able to regurgitate some meaning, you know, some meaningful use out of it? And then I'll produce reports and things and I'll be able, so that, that way the, the clients will have some measure, meaningful measure of, you know, are we taking cybersecurity seriously and how well are we doing? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, sure. And certainly whatever industry they're in, it's probably a requirement of them that they go through some sort of cyber training anyway. So 
I guess that's that would be kind of an interesting question to ask is when you're giving the cybersecurity training, do you have uh, a different presentation usually for those who are required to take it or those who actually want to take it? I would think the engagement would be a little bit better with the folks that, that want to take it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just be clear. Nobody wants to take it. <laughs> right, right. No, if they're reaching wants, out proactively, though, it's different than uh, a regular. Yeah, yeah. Nobody wants to wants to go through this experience, but they. It's a you know in in the business realm. If you're you're a medical practice, if you're um, a, running a law firm, if you're running an accounting firm, uh, you know your industry and or the re your regulatory agencies are and your insurance body uh, insurance by the way business liability. And so, uh, is is expecting you to have recurring training and provide recurring training to your to your employees. So um, this is the product that I mean I've been providing it, uh, but like I said, I have I haven't really been providing analytics. Uh, you know, I, I haven't really provided. Uh, you know, if Susie office worker didn't make it to the to the training. There's no measure of that. You know, it was un, not really quantifiable. So, trying to bring you know, trying to bring a unified experience to kind of all the clients and something that they can measure. We both can measure, you know, us as the managers of their IT function and security, and them as a business owner. You know. Yeah, and I'm just thinking, if I was a hacker, my new hacking technique might be to send it out as a cybersecurity exam, or uh, just kind of mask it, say you have to go through your annual compliance exam. Here's the link, totally. and they click that, and that could be the hack. That'd be yeah. Well, hackers, a lot of right? it's funny. A lot of these products, part of the product is sending phishing emails. Oh yeah, yeah. And so if they respond or get caught up in the fish phishing attack if if it's provided by the product they it, they say whoa you've just you know you've just entered your credit card information and your password information and this was a test and you failed and here's some supplemental content to uh train you on how how to not get caught up in that oh and by the way this gets logged to the dashboard and reporting and you may be at some point classified as the trouble area in the business you know what i mean right yeah no that's um, good but that's, you know these sort of metrics that a business will want to know for sure right mm -hmm. yeah so. right oh, that's really good what about you what's going on in uh, northshire consulting what's new oh quite a bit i mean obviously the last two weeks or so we're, we're 12 days into the uh the russian invasion of the ukraine so you know you have a lot of things at play there i mean we, we We've talked a lot about, uh, you know, people who were sort of mid-career, they haven't experienced a whole lot of volatility or even any sort of market correction. So now for the first time, you know, somebody could be late 30s and and they don't, you know, 2008 was 14 years ago at this point. So even if they do remember it, they probably didn't have much of a balance in their account. So, you know, you see things in these message groups, forums or Reddit, uh, you know, just just do this and you get 10% every year and, you know, the market doesn't go down and buy the dip and all that kind of stuff, which, uh, you know, certainly does have some merit, but for folks who haven't lived through it, it, it can be a bit of a challenge. You know, you get these, you get these calls. Why is the market going down? Well, because that's what it does. You know, it doesn't go straight up. So, so it's, it's been an interesting education session for, for clients to, you know, from a market standpoint, it's probably good that they're, you know, living through this a little bit, you know, to, to kind of, make them conscious of what can happen in the market and remind them why they're doing what they're doing. Or if they're in maybe a strategy that's a little bit too aggressive for them, pull it back a little bit. Everybody's aggressive when, when the market's flying. Right. So, um, so that's been an experience. And then just trying to, anytime there's an ongoing news event, you know, you're, you're paying a closer attention to the news, I'm a pretty good news watcher anyway, but, um, but you want to know what's going on. You want to have some talking points. You want to know, uh, you want to know the effect on humanity. Obviously, that's that's the bigger picture. But people are concerned about their money and how it's the oil prices and things like that are affecting their their day to day life. So a lot of moving parts around that. You know, do my funds have any Russian exposure? How do I get out of that? Is there what you know, all that kind of stuff. So it's prompting some questions, which is ultimately a good thing. But it does add an additional um, 
group of uh, questions and labor to your plate, which is which is can always you, kind of fun. So, can you give our audience here any useful gems that they could take away from? In that well, context? I think the one thing that's that's interesting is you know we talk a little bit about index funds versus actively managed funds, and um, you know the the S and P five hundred. I mean, is a list of five hundred stocks and any mutual fund or ETF that owns those owns those roughly 500 stocks and they don't have the ability to when there's any sort of sort of crisis to immediately shift off of that so that could be good or bad if you have somebody who's actively managed i mean those funds tend to be more expensive but there's also you know an additional layer of portfolio managers and um, teams executing on that portfolio so um, so the russian stock market is in considered an emerging market. So if you have a, a fund that has emerging markets in the name, that could be an index fund or a past, they're going to own some Russia. They don't have the ability to get out of that unless the indexing body that's telling them to do that removes it from the index, which is a little bit longer process. So, you know, if a portfolio manager is managing a portfolio, they say, well, this Ukraine thing could be a mess. Let me get out of Russian stocks. They can do it. But if you're beholden to an index that if that index fund has Russian stocks, you have to keep it until they, until they tell you to. So that's a conversation you're, you're sort of having with, with, with clients about the difference between the two type of funds and why they have that exposure. And, you know, even on the emerging market side, the Russian market was you know, maybe two to 3% of the portfolio overall, but, um, but it's just kind of interesting, the, the mechanics behind that. Um, yeah. More important than actually your, exposure exposure to the russian stock market is you know the the energy cycle and the energy stocks and what's what's going on there uh, which i'm sure we'll probably talk about later later in the show but you know when you get to 13 year highs on an oil 14 year highs and you're you know 115 dollars barrel people people see that they know that whether they're checking their portfolio or not they're seeing four dollar gas which uh which is crazy because we haven't seen that in a while so um, so a lot of moving parts. It's not just the statement side of it, but it's it's the real life. It's you know the inflationary pressures that they already had through the grocery store and supply chain issues, and now the oil kind of confounds that. Um, so so both. I find of it those interesting. Happening has been an interesting couple weeks or so. Yeah, for sure. I find it interesting that Russia Russia's stock markets can, is called an emerging market. Is that uh, is that just a egotistical or egocentric, uh, slight to Russia or it's, no, it's, it's Oops. just kind of a nice way to put their economies not there yet. So uh, every country is either a developed market or an emerging market. So, oh. the, so there may not be a track for that person to, or that country to emerge, but it's a nice way of saying emerge. It's a lot like, uh, junk bonds over time became called high yield bonds because nobody wanted to buy junk, right? So, right. but they're they're the same thing. So, an emerging uh -huh. market may emerge and become developed, but it may not. That's still still interesting. Thinking that you know, in, a, in so many respect, we view Russia as a world power, right? Or, I mean, so to be a world power and then an emerging market is China an emerging market or are they a developed market? They are considered a. Uh, a developed market. I'm pretty sure I have to check that, but yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to quiz you. So no, early. that's all right. No, that's okay. Still um, kind of interesting. Yeah, it is, yeah. And the Russian stock market. I mean, for you know the the volatility that I mean, you know, if we get three or four percent, like it's it's a big headline on on CNBC. But you can get a Russian market that can drop twenty percent in a day. So it's not you know, it's not one that has a lot of global stature, if you were, right. I mean, they have stature because they're big geographically, they're big militarily, and they're, and they're big in, in the energy sector with their oil exports. But, but other than that, I mean, whole, they're, yeah, I just saw, I just saw a YouTube video from, um, I, I subscribe to CNBC's YouTube channel and they have some interesting content from time to time. And it would, the, 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 the show was covering, the i i guess the exodus or the movement of people over the past couple of years in and out of uh california texas and florida and i guess is correct me if i'm wrong i think that in that video they said california is the world's fifth largest economy is that possible yeah that that sounds about right yeah 
that is that that's so crazy i mean it must be because of the high valuations of the tech sector right i mean is that yeah would, would you yeah say that that's and they're, they're agriculturally still still fairly big that's amazing the fifth largest economy in the world is this is the state of california that's that's fascinating so cool um what else is going on with business development um any any new any new tools or practices or trainings or services or you just wash rinse repeat at this point yeah sorry i lost you there for a second what was your question oh i was just uh trying to give you more airtime north shire consulting what's oh. any, <laughs> anything new uh, in business development or tools yeah, or mean, processes services yeah the, the main thing we've been tracking is the you know the connecticut mandated ira program which it's kind of interesting i didn't think too many people knew too much about it so for those maybe outside our geographic region or listening somewhere else so you've had a lot of states that have passed some uh, legislation requiring small businesses to have a retirement plan for their employees and that's always been coupled with a state-sponsored plan so you have two essentially three options which is you know go out and get your own retirement plan be part of the state program or be fined so the third option isn't really an option but um right. you know it's not the, it's not the government's goal to fine you and they're pretty honest about that and they're you know the the states that have rolled out the fines Oregon and now California have said like okay this this is your fine but we don't want to fine you go get your retirement plan right that's that's what they want to do they're not incentive they're not yeah, it's not a it's not a revenue generator. It's not not right. a got you. They're they're pretty good about that. But uh, so Connecticut originally passed their uh, legislation in 2016, and they're finally bringing that program up to speed now. So they're in a pilot program. Uh, it's getting a little bit of press. They they've made the rounds on some of the morning local news shows, and it's been in the paper and things like that. But I didn't I didn't think people were following it very closely, but I've actually got some calls from some businesses. Uh, and they're saying, well, now it's mandatory. We have to have it. And we're not quite there yet. It's not, it's not a requirement. And we're a couple years away from the fining stage. It's good that they're taking some initiative and, and doing the right thing for their employees. But uh, so you have to kind of talk them back there. It's, you know, you'd love to say, yeah, that's right. You need to be, you need to have this by Friday, but uh, obviously we're not going to do that. But uh, cool. so, you know, you're getting, getting some, some calls on that and there's some confusion out there and people freaking out that they're going to get fined because they don't, they don't have a plan, but it, you know, usually most people are surprised at how easy it is, um, to, to spin up a retirement plan. Cause that's changed a lot. Like any sort of, it's basically a, their technology platforms is what they are. You mm -hmm. know, you're, you're uploading payroll to a record keeper who's putting that money in people's accounts and buying securities and, you know, you're providing advice on top of that. So, like any sort of technology platform, all those have been greatly improved. And there's a lot of tax credits too that are in most situations are paying for the first three years of the of the plan. So, you know, labor wise, it's not a big deal for employers and the cost standpoint, it's not a big deal for employers. So it's all good. It's all good news. But um, that's starting to pick up a little bit traction there. So, you know, like you with your process, we're just trying to to streamline that and be as efficient as possible. You know, a, a little five person bakery or something like that. You want to help them out and you want to point them in the right direction, but it's not the most profitable piece of business. But at the same time, I'm not going to push them away and send them to a state program that might not be the best solution for them. So I have to constantly, you know, the idea, keep wringing out the sponge, right? You're just trying yeah. to streamline that every time a new business comes on, it's like, okay, here, here was the process. It would have been more optimal if we could done, have done this. So let's next time, you know, do that. So, um, and the smaller, the business is usually the, the less efficient their processes are. Maybe they're running payroll through their own little internal Excel spreadsheet and hand delivering <laughs> checks or something like that, you know, which is fine if you got two or three employees, but right, you right. Know, so we're trying to push them down the path of, you know, potentially getting on a payroll system and having the stuff a little bit more automated. Um, so, so all that factors into the conversation. So just trying to make those processes a little bit easier. Cool. Very yeah. cool. Very cool. Well, it's good to be back. Um, we're using, we'll tell the audience we're using, hopefully the video and audio sounds good. We're using this, trying this new platform called StreamYard. Mm -hmm. So far, so good, right? Seems pretty. Yeah. Yep. 
pretty feature feature enough. It's um, allows us you and I both to kind of co-host the uh, the show. We can we can do things like that. How's that look? Looks good. Yeah, that's cool. So what else? Um, you want to talk about the news? Yeah, we could talk about that. I mean, the biggest thing, obviously, that happened since our last show is the Russian invasion of the Ukraine, which had been built up for quite some time. And most people, you know, most of the pundits or the experts didn't actually think anything was going to happen and that it, uh, it very much did happen and, and is happening. So um, obviously that, you know, the the humanity stuff and the politics stuff is, is obviously first and foremost is some pretty uh, jarring images coming from over there. But, you know, the next level of that is in the finance and technology space. And, and this is just another example where those two worlds are, are kind of married, you know, with with Visa and MasterCard pulling out as both the finance and the technology issue and, yep, and PayPal. And then as it relates back to, to cryptocurrency and and that sort of stuff. And then you get into you know, uh, social media platforms. And, um, so that's, yep. you know, you're covering all the, covering all the bases. Uh, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, uh, I think Facebook has either been banned by Russia and, or they shut down operations. I, I think maybe Russia banned Facebook, um, is Twitter, Twitter, sh uh, still going on in there. No, I think, I, I think, Twitter broke up with them first. <laughs> That's really okay. the conversation. Who who gets to break up with who first? You know, you know the breakups happening, but um, but it's obviously the 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 control of information is is now seems to be a war front almost. Mm -hmm. um, sure. You know the and honestly, I don't think our government is any different. You know, it, it it's just a it's just a propaganda machine. You you send the messages. Whoever controls the microphone or the podium gets the advantage or home field advantage for, you know, controlling the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, you know, um, yeah, the, I'm, I'm trying to tread, tread lightly here to not yeah. offend, offend yeah. anybody. Um, but, you know, obviously Russia is, it, well, Russia sounds like is trying to position their, their, uh, their cause as some sort of, um, liberation campaign uh for, but again is that that's what i'm reading in american and western publications um so it's it's just interesting to see you know we're in this we're in the, and this is you know this is kind of harkens back to the trump era and the whole concept the new theme of misinformation um, it just seems like it's, it's a really interesting concept of, you know, what information is right. What, what you know, there's always, you ever heard the expression, there's three sides to every story, her, hers, mine, and the truth. Um, sure. so it's just kind of interesting to see the, the war of information happen, I guess. I'm not taking a position yeah. either way, obviously. I'm just the, I'm just trying to, trying to acknowledge that information is is um human produced right it's just mm -hmm. it, and therefore subject to manipulation right yeah manipulation and interpretation and you've got you've got organizations like facebook trying to cut down on misinformation um but ultimately there's a decision that has to be made as to what's misinformation i mean obviously at the at the polar ends you can you can figure out what misinformation is but as you get closer to the middle and get closer to the truth it's it's harder to figure out what that misinformation is right um, right and, then, and i tend i tend to lean on you know words are words and but actions are actions right so mm -hmm. you could say we're liberating or you could say we're supporting we're fighting for democracy right those are the two sides of the of the coin right now but if 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 schools and apartment buildings and children and, and families and homes are being bombed and, and destroyed, um, it really doesn't matter who, what the narrative is on either side, right? It's mm -hmm. just stop doing that, you know, use, use, uh, the, the power of the vote, uh, to, to, you know, govern a people, you know? Um, so it's, it's just an interesting you know the 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 information war war front is what I'll I'll dub it. You heard it here first. The information <laughs> right. war front, right? Yeah, and it's and it's always wrapped around the idea of 
the greater good, right? I mean, that's how you, that's how well, you it's always for the children. It's yeah, always you're, you're doing that. yeah, it's like, yeah, there'll be some, some war casualties, but ultimately, you know, we're, we're liberating millions of people and there's going to be misfires and, and that sort of stuff. That's not my opinion. I'm just using what, uh, what other sides would say to that is right. It's about the greater good. So, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, so that's, it's been interesting learning about the global payment system and how money sort of flows around and, and how that relates back to, you know, cryptocurrency and how the, the positives of that could, could be seen as a negative, right? So the idea of, you know, it's, it's been good because people have been able to contribute to the Ukrainian effort through, uh, through the digital cryptocurrency platform, but you also have the ability to, uh, to contribute to the Russian side of it. And um, the less ability of the governments to kind of freeze assets or, or freeze the flow of money if, if they're not in charge of it. So you beat um, me so too. That'll, but yeah, that's, that's sort of the, that's sort of the uh, interesting thing that that's come out of this. And, and from a market perspective, how cryptocurrencies have moved, um, you know, there's been periods just over the last 12 days or so where it's sort of moved in concert with, let's say a basket of NASDAQ stocks. It's like, oh, technology stocks are down. Bitcoin stock is their Bitcoin price is down because it's the same type of people that own all of those things. And you you think you're diversified, but people sell things in baskets, right? They're just getting out of whatever and, and getting into whatever sometimes. But then there's also been periods when there's been significant market declines or turmoil and the cryptocurrencies have been up and they've, they've behaved more like something like a safe haven, like a reserve like gold has historically been. So, um, right. so we've sort of got a, a, a preview maybe of, of the next uh, 12 years over the last 12 days or so. So um, that's been sort of fascinating to watch. Yeah, definitely. One of the, one of the benefits or one of the features I'll say, and this is what I think you and I sparred over the past uh, couple months is one of the features of cryptocurrency or one of the value, one of the values of using a cryptocurrency is the uh, the democratization uh, or the decentralization of the currency. Um, so no matter what's kind of happening geopolitically, you know, you have kind of an un, uh, unmanipulated currency, which is a, is a feature of it. I mean, if, if um, you know, in Russia, it there seems to be low domestic Russians that do not support the war necessarily uh, and they're bearing a significant brunt of the sanctions that are coming to them and you know, presumably they are, you know, maybe using, able to use cryptocurrency to, to transact. And like you said, store, store current, store some wealth, uh, that they may be holding on to while the Russian ruble is, uh, volatile or in, in a uh, crash right now as a result of the sanctions. Um, one of the news articles that I read over this period is, pressure on Coinbase. Coinbase is one of the major, what would you call Coinbase? Is it an exchange? Yeah, I'd say exchange or even type of uh, like a Bank. custodial platform. Yeah. Custodial platform. That's it. Right. So you, you can, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's an, an exchange where you can go in and take your currency and acquire cryptocurrency. And, and, uh, I don't know if they yet use it as a, um, mode to transact like, like an Apple pay, or I don't know if you can buy things using their platform, uh, yet or not. I haven't tried, I, I own crypto through Coinbase, for example, but I don't know, I've never tried to purchase anything or spend the cryptocurrency. But anyways, one of the articles was, you know, U S or Western pressure on Coinbase to the CEO and the, and the company Coinbase to shut down access to coinbase to russia and russians and the ceo has resisted and says if i do that i'm 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 spitting in the face of what cryptocurrency is all about mm -hmm. so that's that's interesting it's interesting and it's kind of it's interesting you know <laughs> um I don't, from a regulatory standpoint that might ultimately be the regulators way in right they may not have any control over um over cryptocurrencies or bitcoins or the blockchains or anything but they may have control over how you 
access it. You know, right. they may even go to the, you know, the internet service providers or, you know, go right. through these exchanges and, um, you know, and that's things like is cryptocurrency is, is it truly, a um, is it something like a stock that doesn't need to be regulated by the securities and exchange commission, or is it really more like a, uh, a painting or a piece of art or any some kind of other collectible that that can just be you know sort of buyer beware seller beware where it's not as regulated a market so um those are all questions we'll we'll figure out quickly and does does what's happened over the last two weeks or two months does that does that hasten the need for some regulatory involvement you know like the old phrase right don't don't let a good crisis go to waste does oh, does yeah. you know the sec or government get involved and use say hey look we we'll make an example out of bitcoin or one of these exchanges and you know say look look how they funded how money fl flowed through to to russia through this platform good and point. we need to regulate it so good um, point yeah. i think ultimately the you know if they do if they take that route they're only going to end up hurting an individual business entity like the exchange because mm -hmm. the currency itself is decentralized, love it or hate it. So you can regulate your government, you can regulate your people and the businesses operating within your borders, but the currency itself is untouchable, so to speak. Uh, so the Chinese can regulate it and they've talked about, you know, and they may already, and you can tax it and treat it as a currency and, and that sort of thing. But the Russians who, you know, are using it, let's say for legitimate purposes or trying to, you know, the, the, that are being injured by the sanctions or whatever, they're still going to use it. And, you know, while they're, while their government is maybe in upheaval, um, that that's still going to happen. So anyways, it's, it's an interesting space for sure. Um, hopefully, yeah, I don't know how, I don't know how, I don't know how this one de-escalates. I really don't. It, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know either. Unless you've, you've put so much pressure on the the Russian people that they start to be, demand better behavior from their government, and that's the unfortunate part of sanctions. Is you know, Vladimir Putin's never going to wait in a breadline, you know, but the the sanctions right. are going to affect people who um, who unfortunately don't deserve to bear the brunt of it. But um, and he doesn't he doesn't seem to be the the type of world leader that um, goes home without a trophy, mm -hmm. you know. So what's the trophy going to be so that when he goes back to his people and he he does his press conference and, uh, you know, does some horseback riding junk, uh, junket, uh, you know, shirtless and tries to, you know, represent that, you know, he's a powerful uh, liberator of Ukraine. I don't know how, you know, what's the, what's the pelt going to look like, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, I guess any sort of, I don't think it's necessarily a land grab, but if it's some sort of regime change or in Ukraine, or if he's able to destabilize that and, and right. then ultimately become the stabilizer of it, I guess that's probably what he's looking to do. But yeah. I mean, I, I sadly think I, if I were, if I were to, Guess I'm guessing that the Ukrainian president doesn't make it through this conflict alive because he's already they've already had attempts on his life, um, and I'm and he's uh, bravely staying in in the capital to fight. Uh, I don't think he makes it out of it. I there's I guess there's contested western re or e eastern regions, so you can imagine maybe the populace there is split on their allegiance to Russia or Ukraine. So somehow I bet Ukraine gets smaller, at least at, um, at the end of this. And, uh, I want, um, I think Wendover productions, you ever watch Wendover productions on YouTube? No, I don't think so. He's, he does a lot of technology science and, and political pieces, uh, review and response pieces. And he does, he covers why, why is this happening? Why why is Putin so um, interested in Ukraine? And it and if geographically, obviously, it's the it's kind of the pinch point or it's the gateway to the the Russian country, so to speak. So, kind of like whoever controls that mouth that the the that delta um, kind of controls access to the west, kind of both in and out of that the two contested you know russia versus the the east versus west i guess right mm -hmm. it's the gateway between the two so you know 
Putin, I guess, has an incentive to want to control that gateway with Russian sensitive uh, tones. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right. Is there anything on the Flipboard that you wanted to talk about? I know you flipped some Ch stuff in here. Um, Changing gears sort of on us. What yeah. are we doing here? Let's see. <laughs> What'd you pin? Did you pin anything recently? Uh, you know, I haven't. Uh, I just haven't had a chance to flip stuff in here. I got to make a sticky note or something to start flipping some more stuff in here. But you've got some some pretty good content here. Um, yeah, I've pinned a few things. So you're sharing you're sharing my screen, and uh, let's see, what do we want to talk about? You ever <laughs> you ever heard the 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 drama surrounding the McDonald's ice cream machines? Oh yeah, that's certainly a, a meme. And I'm 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 not a big fast food eater by any stretch, but we do like our McDonald's Sundays, and I'm a I'm a big Shamrock Shake guy. So this is a uh, this is prime season for me. But yeah, it really is a, a coin flip. I know it's kind of an internet meme and a, and a joke, but uh, that the machines are always down, and it's been that way for as long Forever. as I can remember. But yeah, so as it turn turns out, McDonald's through their franchise contracts requires their mcdonald's franchisees to use their specifically approved ice cream machine and over the years so so the machine has been pr shown there's a couple of youtubers out there that did uh some some deep dives on the on all of the subterfuge and the cloak and dagger surrounding this machine but basically <laughs> they specifically engineer the ice cream machine to not be intuitive to repair or tr diagnose or troubleshoot if there's a problem with it mm -hmm. and the franchisee is required to ha have a service contract with the maker of the ice cream machine and so because the thing is not very user friendly to troubleshoot with like add milk or, you know, the refrigerant is this or some something like that be through the display, you have to call for service and pay for service to have somebody pay for the um, service of the ice cream machine. Well, I think they revealed that McDonald's is a key stakeholder owner of the company that makes the ice cream machines. <laughs> Right. So corporate requires you to use, the, you know, your franchisors requiring you to use this equipment. The equipment's engineered to uh, require service at some percent. Um, you have to call, you need the service contract. So it's like a revenue machine for the McDonald's corporate. And, you know, if you watch, you ever watch the movie Founder, the founder yes. with Michael Keaton? If you yeah. ever watch, if you watch that movie and even any of that is like remotely true, you you see this this whole drama about the ice cream machine you're like yeah i be i believe that <laughs> sure yeah absolutely yeah and it, it reminds me you know taking another step further into the technology firm world it almost reminds me a little bit of like bricking you know the idea of all right my iphone works today apple sent right. me an update and now it's un it's unusable it's like a planned obsolescence and the only way now you're you had this device that worked you know be apple android whatever um and now suddenly it doesn't work because the company said well we're not going to let you use it anymore and you've you've got to come back to us to get it fixed so i would yeah so i would draw them so there's a concept that's been circulating over the last five or so years called the right to repair mm. you've heard of the right the repair yeah yeah so so states are so so a lot of around the tech world and tesla just went through this like massachusetts just passed a law for example because yeah. tesla tesla was guilty of this Apple was guilty of this. They're basically making their stuff hard to repair. Uh, so you have to use the original company OEM like Apple or Tesla or um, I, I don't know what the ice cream machine is in this McDonald's article. But basically make it hard to repair unless you are the manufacturer of the item. And, you know, the. The, the point is. Um, yeah, so this this article here is the, the is headline McDonald's sued for nine hundred million dollars, almost a billion dollars, by a company that's trying to fix the ice cream machines. So I'll just do a quick summary of this. But basically, this company created some sort of chip that you can put in in the ice cream machine that allows the franchisee or the owner of the ice cream machine to diagnose its um, the problem, so they can fix it cheaper. 
And I'm surprised that this article actually didn't cite specifically the concept of, quote unquote, the right to repair, which is really what this is all about. So, um, yeah, that was that was that article I found. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that right to repair stuff, especially in the, it's having a big influence in the car industry as if they weren't going through enough right now. But you have actually some some manufacturers who are selling dummy down versions of their cars to these states that have the right to repair because it'd be too complex for them to get those the machines and the information that reads the car data out to every small mechanic and things like that so hmm. um, so more on that later i guess right yeah we'll we'll see we'll definitely want to watch the space <laughs> i mean the right to repair sounds like it's it sounds like it's a um a slope that the OEMs are on. They're going to fight it on a case by case. Obviously, McDonald's is fighting it, but I think the right to repair is going to is going to be, is going to win out on that one. But it definitely will be interesting to see. I doubt this company is going to win a nine hundred million dollars uh, settlement from McDonald's from the effort. But what more than likely will happen is the uh, through administrative law in that case, McDonald's will probably have to yield to the franchisees and this company these companies that want the right to repair these things mm -hmm. and which will ultimately i think in my in my opinion uh lead to um you know lower costs of ownership so make it make it a more competitive landscape right and a more a more steady product too i mean people just it's <laughs> That's amazing the... how many times you'll go to a place like this and just they won't have something that's you know, funny. The machine, <clears throat> the machine doesn't work. So that's very it funny. Increases the ability for me to get my Sundays or Shamrock shakes when I win it. So do you want to you want to talk about electric vehicles or you want to talk about APIs? Oh, uh, let's go to the electric electric vehicle front. Uh, I, I, I was hoping you I was hoping you would say that because I'm obsessed yeah. with EVs, despite not yeah, owning an EV, by the way, as you know. Um, right. I know. So, so there was there was a lot of chatter that uh, Ford was speculated, and, and I'll I'll be interested to hear your financial insight on this. Ford was speculated to um, this article here by CNBC. For the past few weeks, they they, they it's been rumored to that. Yeah, I'm trying to play with our view here. That one, I guess that works. Um, it was rumored that Ford was going to, so Ford has the Mustang Mach-E, which is their electric variant of a car with the name Mustang. Although anybody who knows about Ford Mustangs, it doesn't, it's not really your typical Ford coupe Mustang, two-door Mustang. So they have the, the Mustang Mach-E, which is one of the leading electric vehicles right now. And they're uh, soon to launch the Ford F-150 Lightning, which is the electric variant of the Ford F-150 pickup truck, which is everybody may know that the F-150 is the number one selling vehicle in America, not uh, not just pickup trucks. So they were speculating that Ford would spin out their EV division as a, as a separate company. And I'm thinking to myself, I, I never thought they were going to do it because why would you... Why would you spin off your fastest growing or maybe perhaps most profitable business unit while you're in the midst of kind of like, I mean, obviously there's a transition happening, right? So they're transitioning away from internal combustion vehicles. I think the typical profit margin on an inter internal combustion vehicle has been anywhere from like three, six, 12%. They're saying EVs can, can be up as, I think tesla is reporting up to maybe a 30 percent profit margin on an industry leading 30 percent profit margin on their cars so why would you want to uh spin off your growth uh your growth uh, sector or silo rather than have it kind of feed the coffers to fuel what i think is just a pivot right mm -hmm. i mean you when your business model changes I mean, which has happened uh, to a lot of, in, you know, industries, especially around technology. Um, you have to pivot, change the way you're doing it, something or sell. You're selling something different or some selling something new. So what do you what do you think? Well, I mean, the big picture when when companies split up or spin something off, they're trying to unlock value. Right. So the idea was Ford would spin off the EV part of it <clears throat> with the idea of that getting a, a 
price to earnings or valuation that's that's closer to Tesla because you have you know Ford people jumping up and down saying how come our how come our company is worth this and Tesla's worth that when we on the EV space are making uh, as large a, a shift and dramatic gains as they are so um, but you do see it happen a lot when you've got a, a technology or a faster growing piece of of a company and then you've got the more traditional so if you think of you know the the phone companies or you know they had their big landline business that was you know the just the steady stuff not going to grow and then as they got into more um you know dsl or even cell phone type business that was something that was valued a little bit higher so certainly not uh uncommon but they weren't for, for these but they weren't forming new businesses you know com they, right they were still doing it under one one roof right 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 but you see these calls to kind of split it up and right um things like that so um yeah it's there's there's a lot of ramifications even right down to to dealers and and all that sort of stuff and it even sort of i guess plays into our last conversation as well but um yeah i i uh, yeah i mean i i guess that's probably all i can say about it for now but um it's going to be interesting to see how much they uh, if there's, if this is just the first move and if there's going to be more moves later on, cause yeah, um, so, that's what others are saying. So apparently according to this article, they didn't in fact split off the EV division as a separate business, but what they did do is they, I guess, created a separate division within the company. So mm -hmm. that, that to me seems to make sense to some degree, I guess. Um, you know, I can't, I've never worked in a corporation of a hundred thousand employees, so I can't speak right. to the the politics that go around doing something like this. To me, mm -hmm. you know, we we run our little our little company as you know, really an agile company. Everybody, nobody gets their feelings hurt about somebody picking up some effort or initiative. But I I feel like what I've read from these big motor companies, especially when you have unionized workers and and things like that, you know, you've um, you've got the unionized labor plants that are manufactured, you know, a lot of labor to, to put together, you know, 900 part internal combustion engine where you've got, you know, an electric motor now that has two moving parts in it and, uh, might require a lot less labor. And of course the manufacture of parts of, of a complex engine that, that will, uh, inevitably need repair and replacement. So. I think there was a lot of talk that the in industry was navigating that, but I almost feel like that was a, a bit manufactured because you know, I'm not, you know, you're not seeing a lot of revolt at electric vehicle plants. You know, I mean, Ford is manufacturing an electric vehicle and they do have the F-150 coming. So I'm sure all the employees are happy, give or take where they are. And, you know, new plants are springing up. It seems like every day I'm reading an article that a new battery factory mm -hmm. or, or a new car factory is, is, is getting spun up. So. Um, yeah. Right. I mean, it's, it, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a, when you get organizations of that size, it becomes a, a personality thing and an ego thing and a culture thing, which, you know, we're trying to analyze this, just, just knowing, you know, what, what we know and what could be good business wise or technology wise. But, you know, if, if somebody's leading a group that's been highly profitable and, and they feel like money's being sucked out of that group to go uh, into R&D for something maybe they don't think is going to be profitable or they just don't believe in or they want to keep their little fiefdoms of being in charge of that and, you know, all that sort of big corporate uh, corporate nonsense that you corporate mal malarkey yes <laughs> our president and I have obviously made a decision to, to stay away from but um, uh, yeah more to come on that I guess uh, I was watching a video on uh, that the Wall Street Journal put out put, talking about uh, not just battery powered but uh, pure solar plays right so so cars that are basically covered with the solar panels with the idea that they're you don't need to plug them in as much um, so that story kind of fascinated me because, you know, the layman will look at, uh, look at this and say, well, why don't we just, you know, why aren't there solar panels on cars? Why aren't there? But, um, but it was interesting to see the progress, uh, we've made, he's pulling it up right here. That's the, the three wheeled one that's, um, they're taking orders on it. That's very much, a uh, not something in the too far future, but, um, you know, the gains that have been made over the last 20 years in the uh, 
the ability of the the panels to collect more sun and convert that into energy and obviously the the uh, gains made in the batteries to help store that a little bit but uh, yeah you know there's a few players in this market some are the this you know the high-end luxury stuff and then this is the this is the one that's a, going to be a little bit more affordable i guess this looks a little bit more like a like an airplane looks like a more of a cockpit kind of from from your world but uh, yeah so this is the aptera that we have up on screen this is yeah. the th this is a solar panel covered i would say automobile but i think it's re i think it's registered as a motorcycle and that's mm -hmm. how they're able to make it so light but it is covered with solar panels they do say it'll go a thousand miles on a charge um yeah so yeah there's there's definitely some work in that space i know um the i don't think the lucid air has solar on it they just went with big ass battery so uh last one more article you want to talk about drilling through the, the center of the earth or starlink uh, globalizing democracy or you want to call it a day Oh, I don't know. I'm kind of interested in the the API story a little bit. Uh, yeah, I could touch on that. It's I mean, that's my that's more, my jam. You're, you're you're living in that right now, but uh, that's where um, my I spend my days these 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 days in the APIs. It's very technical, yeah. and to to any normal out there, uh, hold on tight. But basically, um, just to lay some it's some background, if you're using any web based service like a CRM, like a custom, customer relationship management software, if you're tracking accounts and customers in a software, um, even if you're using maybe QuickBooks for billing or some any sort of platform to run your business, that's software and software, the makers of the software create kind of backdoor, I use air quotes, backdoors or plugins or um sockets in which um you can plug into their software to move data in and out or basically extend the useful function of a software so i'll give you the exact use case let's see for us we use so for the account setup wizard for example we use a software on our website to present to the landers of our website uh, a form where an intake form Basically, what's your name, your you know, first name, last name, email address, title, company name, company address, company website, and then we move them forward through the, the wizard and what what kind of contract or, or uh, plan do you want with us? So that's one software that we use to present that form and we're collecting data and we're using that software. We use Zoho. It's called Zoho Survey. And then we use a software uh, to run our business, which I don't know if I've mentioned it before, but I'm not going to mention it today just for security uh, precaution. But um, basically, I say collect data on this software and then send it into this software. And the way that we do that is both of those respective softwares publish a uh, an application programming interface, which is what API stands for. And it basically allows you to send data through the back door of your software or pull it out or mm -hmm. manipulate the the data in the software um, you know the the core function of like the zoho software is to create a web form um, and that's what we use as the end user but it is a software that is manipulating and storing data so getting data in getting data out that's what an api is so this article you're talking you're referencing um on our on our flipboard is from VentureBeat, and the report says 681% increase in API attacks for customers in 2021. And the only thing I'd say to that is this just in, water is wet. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, if there's a door, the hackers are going to attack it. And mm -hmm. an API is just in, in a, just a door. What do you think? Right. Yeah. And, and this this comes through in, in our world a lot. I mean, a, APIs are to tap into any sort of data 
data set. You know, I mean, the eBay has APIs and Amazon for people who want to pull out product lists or, or get right. uh, pieces of, of data from from somewhere. And then, you know, in our world, you have uh, what's called account aggregation. So that was the big trend for a while where I can log into one website and I can see my account from Fidelity. And I can see it from Trump, oh, yeah. and I can see all right. the stuff on, on one screen. So you're pulling that in through a, a third party source. And then you have uh, consumer facing products like Mint uh, and those type of services. Mint? Where yeah, I love tapping, Mint. Yeah, they're tapping into those, uh, especially if it's in a Shamrock Shake. That's where I like it. But, so the, uh, <laughs> if McDonald's the machine gonna works. so much play this month. Yeah, so uh, so that's, you know, so that's where APIs come, come through in our world. And, you know, that's, so, you know, early adoption of this kind of stuff, everybody's excited about it and it's all going to help the consumer. And then you had some of the bigger banks say, well, wait a minute, why are we going through all this work, all this extra layer of security just to give our data to third party apps? And then you had some cut it off and say, well, we're not going to supply that data anymore. It's a security issue. Yep. Um, and then you, yep. Twitter you had, used to have, you know, and then uh, there might be some pushback from consumers who say, well, wait a minute, how come I can't get my up in my account aggregation tool? Yeah. The API was a way, a way to add extra functionality to a particular software. Um, and then at some, at some point, sometimes the, the software maker, Tw Twitter is a good example. Uh, when Twitter came out, they had a great API that allowed third-party Twitter apps to uh, for for users to be able to uh, you know tweet and contribute on the Twitter network. And then I don't know somewhere around 2012, 15, something like that, Twitter closed the API and kind of upset a lot of people who were using maybe a non non Twitter app to participate on Twitter. So. Um, yeah, that's that's what APIs are about. Uh, you mentioned Mint, and I know we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna wrap any minute now. But um, if I can offer anybody per, uh, a big piece of personal finance management advice, <laughs> Mint Mint is one of them, and Mint Mint is an app provided by owned by Intuit. It's free. It's as safe as online apps and services can be, and it's an uh, an account aggregator, as Brian mentioned. And I don't know. Do you want to you want to pull? I can even do a mint. Go to I think go to mint.com. I'm an iPhone user, so it, it's an app. Um, here, take the bring the um, overlay off if you're able. There you go. So this app, Mint, uh, from mint.com into it's mint.com is such a cool app that allows you to bring all of your accounts in your mortgages, your checking accounts, your savings account, your brokerages, your investment accounts. It'll track your net worth. It'll give you um, values of, it'll, it'll give you the value of your cars, compare that to the, the loan you have outstanding on it, give you the net difference to kind of give you a real time view of your net worth. Uh, it all, and it's also great if you have a, more than one credit card checking account or something that you're spending from, it'll aggregate your transactions, which I think is one of the biggest things that people can do to avoid or to respond to, um, identity theft. Mm -hmm. So if your card has been stolen, you know, you should be, you, know, you should be monitoring your, your transactions on your accounts. And, um, yeah, I can't speak highly enough. I'm not a, I mean, I'm not in love with Intuit, the company for a bunch of reasons, but, oh, wow, I didn't know they owned Credit Karma too. Credit Karma was, was my second, uh, is always my second recommendation. Monitor your credit report. Uh, credit Karma is another app that is free and um, you should be always monitoring your credit report. Anyways, I, I digress, <laughs> but you mentioned it and I, and I, it's something that I tell my friends and family aggressively that uh, monitoring your transactions using an account ag aggregator and your credit score goes far in protecting your identity. Yeah, absolutely. Any of those tools that can help you on a daily basis and you find it becomes part of your routine, right? You go in and you check these things in the morning, make sure there wasn't uh, somebody taking exactly money right. out of your account and shoveling it to, to Russia or something. And so, yeah, it's good to monitor. And in the back end, all those things is APIs, right? So yep pulling, pulling the data in and, um, 
making so, it available. So, yeah. So it's no wonder. I mean, like I said, on that report that you mentioned, 60, 681% increase in API attacks for customers mm -hmm. in 2021. And like I said, this just in water is wet. So, <laughs> right. yeah. Right. So always trying to toe that balance of making information available to the clients and others without, uh, you know, keeping an eye on the data security part, which is never going away. That's just a constant battle that, that they, we all go through. Right. Yep. So what do you say? You want, you want to bring us out? Yeah, sure. Call uh, it so a day. Williams from Northshire consulting, which is a investment advisory firm in Connecticut. And we focus on working with individuals, families, and small businesses to set up retirement program savings and really more of a just an overall financial wellness sort of component. Uh, so think of us as your consultants on the financial side, not selling any particular product or service, just helping you, uh, like we just talked about, bring all your accounts together and have a path to, to clean them up and uh, move forward with helping you achieve your goals. So from a social media standpoint, a lot of my stuff is uh, 401k and beyond. That's our YouTube channel where we do some some fund reviews. We do some uh, some client information sessions. We do uh, just some other little videos here and there. We do some, some monthly, weekly type shows. And uh, on Instagram, dipping our toe in the water a little bit on, on TikTok, but, uh, and the main website, of course, is NorthshireConsulting.com where you can send us a message or just book that introductory call and, uh, take it from there. Nice. And I'm Eric Bjorndorf, CEO of Evernet Consulting. We are an IT service provider and consulting firm, uh, out of Hartford, Connecticut, but we support businesses all over America. Uh, if you have a, a company that uses computers or has an IT function and you want a second opinion or you just want to tell me what pains you and see if we can help you, uh, go to evernetco.com, evernetco.com. Uh, look us up on any social network. We're on all of them uh, at the I think tag evernetco we have on most of them. So we'll have links in the description below. We used a new recording platform. Hopefully this will help our video quality and our production quality. And uh, if find us on your favorite, we do, We uh, Brian does rip the audio from our shows and uploads them to your favorite podcasting app. So we are available as a podcast. And um, if you find us even remotely entertaining or educational, please consider giving us a like or a comment or a share. Thank you very much, Brian. Yep. Yeah. And our, and our Flipboard pages and, and Facebook group as well. Be sure to check us out there as we start to uh, put more content out there. And, and eventually we'll get to the point where we're, you know, kind of preloading some some topics maybe and get your feedback and, and comments on those topics before we discuss them here. So, so check those out as well. Those links are in the description, as Eric said. And awesome. we will see you next week. So we'll see you next week. No delay. Thank <laughs> you.